she's a real problem solver. Uh, and usually the problem is something that I've deliberately put there. But it also, it, it's, you know, it's great that she's so clever and I'm able to interact with her on a level that training-wise I haven't really been able to do before because she uh, she has a lot of trust in me having because she was two weeks old when I got her. Join us as we chat to amazing cat explorers and experts. Learn from them, listen to their war stories, celebrate their wins, and laugh at the funny moments that have been a part of their journey. Welcome to the Cat Explorer Podcast. I'm Asara. And I'm Daniel. Before we jump into today's episode, we would love it if you could take a photo or video of what you're doing, share it to your Instagram stories, and tag us at catexplorer.community and our awesome guest at Nina the Blind Cat, and we'll reshare it in our stories too. This episode is brought to you by the new Wee Kitty Eco Plant Litter. The new Wee Kitty Eco Plant by Rufus and Coco is made from sustainable and naturally absorbent wheat and soy fibers. It's the natural litter for cats who care and the humans who love them. Reduce your carbon paw print and make the switch. Head to www.weekitty.com to find a store near you and for your chance to win a year's supply of kitty litter. When I think of today's guest, one word comes to mind, inspiring. I'm not going to lie, before I became educated about differently abled cats and pets, I used to pity them. But watching Nina over the last few years has really helped change my perception. She may be blind, but she is embracing life with so much happiness and positivity. Today, we're so excited to hear all about Nina, her siblings, and foster kitten from her mama, Julia. Welcome to the podcast, Julia. Hi, thanks for having me. So we'd love to hear about Nina. How did she come into your life? Uh, so I do animal rescue and um, yeah, volunteering with an animal charity. Uh, I got a phone call late one night, about 11, um, that a security guard had found four kittens um, and he was going to give them away to his nieces and nephews uh, until his wife said that that was a terrible idea and maybe he should call um, an animal rescue. So uh, I drove up about an hour uh, to meet with him and collect these kittens that he'd put in a laundry basket um, and was escorting them in like those official security cars with the lights. Um, I had these little squeakings um, and looked in this laundry basket and there were these four tiny kittens um, that didn't look in great shape. So I rushed them home um, and fed them. Um, and, uh, yeah, Nina happened to be one of those kittens um that whole litter it turns out had sort of abnormalities that they'd been born with mostly that they were missing their uh, upper eyelids yeah I had to take them to the vet the very next day and he sort of looked at me and said mm, um you know it's not it's not going to be a good life for them you should maybe consider putting them to sleep um which I didn't really I'd seen Oscar the blind cat on Instagram um so I knew that even if these cats had to have these eye, their eyes removed, uh, they still had a good chance at a good life. So I chose to take them home and keep rearing them. Um, and I'm really glad I did because they all managed to make it to adulthood. They're all still around and doing really well. And, of course, during that time, um, I fell absolutely head over heels in love with Nina and her brother Edward and decided to um, to adopt them myself. I just love that. And just for everyone's understanding, so Nina is blind Yes. And Edward has another um, 
He's definitely Ed- able as well, isn't he? Yeah. He is. So Edward was born with brain damage, um, which um, affects his cerebellum. So he has um, motor control or like movement issues. Um, so when he was really little, he just wobbled all over the place. Um, he still wobbles, but he's kind of uh, figured out how to how to get around that uh, for the most part. But then uh, when he was about 10 weeks old, he also developed uh, epilepsy, uh, which he probably had the whole time, but it just became more obvious then. Um, so he has seizures that he's medicated for. Um, thankfully, they only really happen um, sort of once a month at the moment. Um, it was very controllable. Um, so, yeah, that's that's sort of his, his bag. So can you tell us a little bit more about Nina? Yeah, Nina is uh, a very clever cat, uh, probably the most clever cat I've ever had the pleasure of meeting too clever sometimes. Um, she <laughs> opens doors. She she can undo zips. Um, wow. she, she's a real problem solver. Uh, and usually the problem is something that I've deliberately put there. Uh, but it also it um, it's you know it's great that she's so clever and um, I, I'm able to interact with her um, on a level that um, training wise I haven't really been able to do before because she. Uh, she has a lot of trust in me having because she was two weeks old when I got her. So we've built a lot of trust up over that time. Um, and we have quite a nice bond that uh, she just she trusts me if I ask her to do something. And I trust um, that she's going to you know, be OK in almost every situation because she is just really clever and very adaptable. And she's also very kind. Um, I'm always amazed when we go out. Um, we'll just be walking and she will jump out of my arms, which is not like I haven't trained her to do that. That's not what they're meant to do. <laughs> <laughs> but it'll be if somebody's walking past and they'll have a nice smell or something. And she just decides, well, I need to get on this person. Bye, mom. Um, and she will she'll just jump out of my arms into somebody else's arms. And almost every time she's done it, the person um, you know, cuddles her and then says, I really needed that. Um, it's just like she kind of knows um, who needs some extra loving that day, which is I don't know how she does that. She also loves children, and I'm not sure how she knows that they're children. My th- theory is that they must smell like mushed up food or something <laughs> because she can't see, so she can't tell that they're um, any different, but um, she does love them. Um, yeah, she's a she's a very special cat in many ways. So I saw this video that just made me smile. Probably doesn't make you smile as much because I can imagine the frustration it causes. It was of Nina climbing up your, um, I suppose, fly screen door and then opening the door so that she and her siblings can get out. Um, Nina's got quite a few siblings. Do you mind telling us a little bit about them? We've heard about Edward, but I know there's a few more. Yeah, so I I have five cats. Um, Nina and Edward were the last two to uh, come on board, so to speak. My first cat uh, is a big, fluffy tuxedo cat called Topher, um, who most people will never see because he tends to hide. Um, he mostly just comes out when it's just me. And then he's very cuddly, but other than that, he's if, unless you go into my cupboard, you're probably not going to see him. Um, but he started it all. Um, he was my first cat. And I, at the time, thought that uh, cats liked to be uh, solo cats so we I just had him um, and then it sort of became apparent when he was about two that he did not like being an only cat uh, so I started fostering uh, originally for the RSPCA 
uh, fostered this beautiful little tabby girl um, with big green eyes that I called Mackenzie. Uh, and Topher fell in love with her, and so did I. So um, I thought, well, that's perfect. We'll have two cats. Um, so I adopted her as well, uh, and she was amazing. Uh, and then it sort of it happened that I ended up fostering again a bit later um, a litter of uh, five tiny black kittens. And Mac was just she loved them. Um, she's a real maternal cat. So she just wanted to kiss them and stay with them and steal their kitten food. Uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, she's been a great asset. She's helped foster all of the kittens that I've had. And I think she um, really helps them learn how to be a cat because obviously I can't teach them that because I'm clearly not a cat. Um, and then uh, one of the litters that I fostered, it was my first neonatal litter, um, which is so these guys were about a week old, uh, very sick litter. Uh, and one of the kittens in that litter was this little tiny black and white kitten um, that I oh, very sillily called cow because they all smelt like a barnyard. Worst smelling, they were covered in, I don't even know what, very bad smelling cats. So I called him cow kind of as a joke. And then um, later when he was ready for adoption, I'd fallen head over heels for him. Um, he was just used to following me around, still does follow me around everywhere, uh, always wanted to sit on my shoulder, um, refused to sleep anywhere except in the bed, snuggled up to me. So I couldn't I couldn't let him go. But he already was used to the name Cal. So I confusingly have all of these cats with very human names and then one that's called Cal. But he doesn't seem to mind, so that's all right. Uh, so, yeah, that was Cal. And then, of course, um, Nina and Edward came into the picture. Um, Nina and I bonded really quickly. Edward I loved, but um, I wasn't sure that I could have five cats. And he's a big responsibility to take on because of the medication. So I did try to find him another home, but um, it is quite difficult to find differently abled cats homes. Um, Nina actually had applications, even though she was never advertised. Um, it probably would have been easy to rehome her um, because with blindness, it's um, not, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to do much more for the animal. It's quite um, easy to accommodate. Uh, so people don't seem to mind that. But with Edward, you know, he needs medication um, twice a day. At the time, he needed it four times a day. And when he has a seizure, he often wets himself um, and people just weren't interested in taking on that sort of responsibility. Um, and in the end, I, I just decided that actually the best place for him was with his sister, who um, Nina does take care of him quite a bit, as does Mackenzie, um, especially after a seizure. They will like run to him as soon as he's done seizing and Mac helps clean him and Nina just like, you know, just sits near his face and. Um, so I think it's, yeah, it's the best place for him. And I love him to bits. So that that all worked out quite well, I think. Oh, that's such a heartwarming story of how you collected a great little family. <laughs> now, you mentioned um, how you've, you know, dealing with Nina, how you had to sort of change some things, but not too much. Like, what's it like? And, you know, did you have to change some of your furniture around? And you know, could you describe a bit more in terms of what sort of adjustments you've had to make? Um, Nina has been surprisingly easy. I know that not all blind cats um, adapt quite as well as Nina. I think because she was blind from birth, she's never known anything different. And like I said, she's very clever. So um, even if I put down um, like 
an object that wasn't in the room before. She figures out very quickly that it's there. Um, doesn't she doesn't really run into anything um, unless she's I don't know, like kittens get the zoomies. When she gets the zoomies, if I accidentally put something down somewhere that she wasn't expecting it, she will run into it. But um, other than that, she she's been fine. I haven't had to move anything around. Um, the only thing is if I do bring something into the house that um, is quite tall or just I don't want her to run into, I will take her to it first so that she knows it's there and I will make noise all over it, like just like a little scritching noise um, to make sure that she knows how high it is uh, I'll even put her on the top of it and then scratch the floor so she knows whether she can jump down from it or not um, I don't tend to scratch the floor if it's something that she can't jump down from it's kind of a signal to her that hey if you can hear this you can get down from there you're fine um, but yeah so there's nothing particularly tall in the house but that's more for Edward because he loves to climb but he doesn't remember that he has seizures so he'll climb something, be up really high, and then a few times he had a seizure and fell off, you know, this really tall object, um, once falling in this position that I was absolutely sure he must have broken his neck. Um, he hadn't, which is great, but after that I just thought, no, I can't I can't have anything too tall in the house. So, um, yeah, our highest scratch post is probably like th three quarters of a metre maybe. Yeah, so if he falls off of it, he'd be totally fine. Yeah, that makes sense. I hadn't actually thought about that in terms of having to think about Edward's seizures and where he might have a seizure. So that's um, really interesting. Um, and I want to bring up something that I hope doesn't offend people by saying this, but usually we have a tendency to pity those who are differently abled. How do you react to people who pity Nina or Edward? And why is it so important that we don't pity them? Yeah, this is a, an interesting one. Um, Disability uh, is normal. It's uh, it's a part of the variety of life. Um, and I think we forget that we all actually experience disability to a certain extent at some point in our life, even if it's, you know, old age. Um, when we pity a person or an animal with um, a disability, we're making an assumption that they are somehow less, that their lives are somehow less than ours. And pity does nothing um, for differently abled people or animals. Uh, and it implies an inequality that is oppressive to those that are differently abled. Often um, one of the biggest hurdles that uh, yeah, disabled people or animals face is actually the stigma that's associated with that, not, sometimes not even um, the disability itself because the stigma can stop them from getting jobs or getting promoted or being socially accepted because of the assumptions that people make. Um, in animals, uh, it can literally mean death because the vet made an assumption when he looked at those kittens that they wouldn't be able to have a good life and therefore it would be better for them not to have a life at all. Um, thankfully, I'd seen cats on the internet that I knew had good lives so I could go and I don't think that that's true and I hope that Nina helps in that um, as well. All of us I guess have what you would call special needs but I think we consider these accommodations like I am visually impaired, I just wear glasses and um, you know you don't pity me for that. Nina doesn't have any eyes and needs some accommodations with that um, but that's it. 
you know, it really is differently abled. It's not less abled. Um, in fact, um, this isn't in all cases, but in Nina's case, I would say that she is quite more abled than most of my cats, um, which as you, you can see that because she goes out exploring and does all of these things that my other cats couldn't do. Um, and that has nothing to do with her being blind. It's just who she is um, as as a cat. I think, yeah, it, pity really implies lesser and they're not they're not less than anything. And also, you know, we don't you don't need pity. I don't like it when people come up to me and they're like, oh, poor thing. And I go, you don't know. You don't know what her life is. Her life is fantastic. Um, and you pitying her is doing absolutely nothing for her. So if you really do feel that there's, you know, like you, you feel something from that, then go out and adopt a differently abled animal or do something. But pity, it's just it's unnecessary, really. Yeah, and what an amazing life she's leading as well. Like she, you're right, she doesn't need that pity. And I think one thing that's important to remember is also what you said about differently abled pets are more likely to be put down because they're less likely to be adopted. But these animals can have amazing lives. That's something we just need to remember is when we do go adopt our next animal is they might be a little bit different, but you can still have an amazing life with them. And I really like your comparison of the visually impaired when you wear glasses, like so many of us wear glasses and you just live with it and you work around it and you figure out how to live with the fact that you need to wear glasses or contact lenses. So that's really well put. So on the topic of eyes, we know that Nina's blind and she's had a condition since birth. Do you mind explaining a little bit of that condition and how it's led to her eye operations? Yeah, so she, well, she was born without retinas. And I think that's important to note because a lot of people think that maybe she could have been able to see, uh, but she couldn't. Without retinas, you, you can't see. So she's never been able to see. So even if this um, other eye issue hadn't have been an issue, she still would have been blind. But on top of that, she also had um, congenital glaucoma, which is quite rare in cats. Um, but basically her eye couldn't drain. So it kept swelling up and swelling up um, and it did actually burst. Thankfully, we'd already got her on the operating table and underneath anesthetic by the time it burst. So she didn't experience that horrible moment. Um, but she was only three weeks old. So we were trying really hard to get her bigger before we had the operation because the vets were concerned about operating on um, some like a cat that's only 300 grams. Uh, so it was pretty dicey, like they said to me, you know, she might survive the surgery, but we're not sure she'll recover properly after. And we expected that she'd have to be in the vet for quite a while um, on the day that we rushed her in for surgery. And then, yeah, they called me like a few hours later and said she was distracting all of the vet nurse staff. Uh, so I needed to come and pick her up. <laughs> yeah, since that operation, she's felt so, because she must have been so uncomfortable. It, it must have been very painful for her. So having that eye out, she suddenly had a new lease on life. She just wanted to play. Um, and then her other eye um, had the potential to do the same thing. So it was just sort of deemed safer to remove it when she went under for desexing. Um so, yeah, so we had that removed as well, and then both of them have been stitched over. Um, and, yeah, she's really comfortable now. And like I said, she could never see, so it hasn't made any difference to her, except mm. that she's not in pain, which is fantastic. Mm, yeah, definitely. So what kinds of cat exploring do you do with Nina? 
Uh, so we go to cafes. Uh, there's a market nearby me that um, we often go to on the weekend. She loves loves the forest that's her favorite um and we've gone to the beach uh we've she's met wombats and uh she has a friend that's a cow uh all sorts she goes to the hairdresser with me every time um yeah she wherever i can take her i will take her that's incredible so how did you train nina to go cat exploring uh, so she was four weeks old. Uh, it was a week after her first surgery and she wasn't allowed to be in with her litter mates because uh, obviously she had these stitches and they're all little tiny kittens and they don't know what they're doing. So it was possible that they would try and pull them out. So I had to have her with me all the time pretty much, which was fine with me because I um, – I'd just gone through a breakup and was a bit of a shell person myself. So I just got this like adorable kitten that I had to take with me everywhere. Um, But it meant I was kind of stuck in the house and I didn't, I didn't think that was great for either of us. So uh, on a Saturday morning when the markets were on, I just randomly decided to put a lead on her and take her to the markets with me. Um, And I didn't know how she'd respond. And I was ready to just, you know, run back to the car and take her home if she freaked out. Um, but to my surprise, she was just really interested in all the smells and all the people and was very happy to wander around with me. And so I kind of thought maybe this is something that we can do together that might be nice for her um, and enriching for her that she can go out and you know smell these different places, hear these different sounds. She loves listening to birds. We could be in an entire crowd of people. I won't be able to hear a bird, but if a bird flaps its wings nearby, she turns her little face and her little ears towards it and she's ready to pay full attention to that bird. So, yeah, I just from there I looked up um, harness training. There wasn't a whole heap online, but I watched some videos um, and, yeah, started ordered her the tiniest little harness ever um, and just started her off indoors with the harness for you know, a small amount of time until she was comfortable, which for her, she just was really comfortable in it right from the get-go. So it was a very easy process. Um, and then took her outside um, with the harness on for a short amount of time and just sort of extended that amount of time that we were out there with the harness until I felt comfortable that I could take her other places and she would still be comfortable. Started off with like little parks that I knew were quiet um, and then progressed to, yeah, the forest. And then I think the beach was... I knew that that might be difficult for her because of the waves. Um, And the first time we went, when she first heard the ocean, she was freaked out. So she climbed up my leg and onto my shoulder and was like, I'm not sure about this, mum. But I took her up into the sand dunes and just sort of let her have a sniff around there. And um, there'd been some seagulls nearby and she thought that was a very interesting smell. Um, And, yeah, after about five minutes, she had decided that it wasn't too bad after all. So... Um, yeah, I guess it was a lot of listening to her and what she was comfortable with and wasn't. I was very lucky with her that she is very comfortable in a lot of situations. I've done the same training with my cat, Cal, but he is not comfortable outside of the backyard. So that's, you know, I'll, I'll take him out on the harness and let him climb the trees in the backyard and things like that. But uh, we don't go anywhere else because he does freak out and he doesn't enjoy it. So I also listen to that and accept that. Um, that's not for him. I really like that you take their different personalities into account as well and really listen to what they want to do as well. And um, it's so interesting your experience at the beach because we find that Lumos and Oxy 
weren't huge fans of the beach the first of sec till the second time we went and the second time that something kind of clicked in them where they realized that they could dig through the sand and that's why they want to go to the beach they just want to play in the sand and just dig and they're not going to the toilet they just want to dig and um i think initially the waves were a bit too much but then after a while they just got used to it and just on the beach so we because of the way lumos and Noxie like the beach in the way they interact with it we actually do tailor this beach experience so that we actually go into the top half of the beach where it's a lot sandier and there's a lot more dunes and so forth mm. and we actually stay quite far away from the waves because mm. the waves aren't their thing it's the sand that they love so mm. we tailored that experience so that they get to see the sand and play with the sand but not necessarily get too close to the waves in the beach sorry the waves in the water which then scares them yeah so you've explained how you've trained nina but do you think you've done anything different because she is blind yeah so i mean i kind of described it before but the main thing is that i will make noise for her obviously she doesn't have visuals so if i'm trying to tell her where something is i can't like i can't point i can't you know face her in that direction it's not going to help her so um so yeah when we're in a new area if she's like mostly she will actually just walk around and explore things herself but if she's a little bit um cautious like she doesn't know where things are um I will make noise on those things for her like scratching so she loves climbing trees but sometimes she's not sure where branches are um so when she's climbing the tree I'll go along and sort of yeah just scratch on different parts so that she knows where things are a little bit more readily than having to sort of you know put her paw down and figure it out for herself um and uh, other than that, not really much, no. She's um, she's surprisingly very good at figuring out um, the space around her wherever we go. And then similarly, do you approach the different types of cat exploring in different ways? So, for example, from a market compared to a forest, is there anything different that you do with Nina? Yeah, so in the market, obviously, there are a lot of people there um, and dogs. Uh, so at the market, Nina mostly isn't allowed on the ground. Unless I'm sitting at a table and, you know, I can really focus on her and there I've got friends that we can kind of block dogs off if they come around. Um, other than that, she's on my shoulders or she's in my arms. Um, dogs don't seem to tend to look above themselves, so they never really seem to notice her. Um, and it's just better for her. Um, she feels safer. Um, so she really does this. I don't want to say who it is, but there is a busker at the markets that she does not like. I don't know what it is about their music, but she is not a fan. Um, and so if we ever walk near their music, she like buries her head in my armpit. Uh, so yeah, she just likes being up high when we're at the markets. But well, then when we're at the forest, she will complain no end if I have her in my arms because she wants to be down on the ground or up in a tree. Um, and she loves to run in the forest, but she often doesn't feel, um, you know, running. She prefers to do it in a situation where she knows where everything is. So I'll go with my housemate and my housemate will go ahead of us and like run where Nina's about to run and make noise along the way so that Nina then knows that that path is safe. And then she will run it quite happily and run after my housemate and it's adorable to watch so yeah it is quite different depending on if there are lots of people around if there are dogs or if we're sort of in a safer open area it really does change it that's just so beautiful I love that um your housemate comes along as well because I think a lot of people in our community do mention that they struggle to find people to go cat exploring with because 
it's different from walking a dog. Like we all know that. And it's hard to explain that to our friends sometimes. So it's really lovely that your housemate comes along. And I know that you've tried going cat exploring with Edward and um, seeing what he he likes to do so enriching his life that way. Do you mind taking us through your thought process and how he goes like cat exploring right now? Yeah, so Edward, um, like I said, he has mobility issues, which unfortunately means that a harness doesn't work for him. Um, like with your typically when you put a harness on a cat, they um, they act like they're in a tunnel, they don't know what's going on, they hold really still, um, and that's why you have to sort of get them comfortable with it over time until they're, you know, moving normally. And with Edward, um, he kind of doesn't get past that stage. Um, it just confuses him. It's a bit of sensory overload. You, um, he has his own Instagram as well, and you, you might have seen on there that he doesn't really like having his back padded either. He seems to... Um, yeah, it's just too too much sensory input for him or something there. He likes his head being padded, but his back is not a thing. Um, so I think it's also maybe something to do with that. But essentially it means that he can't move. He just keeps falling over. Uh, so I had to give up on that pretty quickly. I can put a lead on him, but I don't really think that leads are enough to be taking a cat out into a, um open environment because, you know, they – you can pull the collar off, they snap off. It's just, it's flimsy. Um, so even though Edward is very comfortable in a lot of situations, I don't tend to take him out like I do with Nina. Um, the most he'll do is go into the backyard with me um, or go to my parents' um, house, his grandparents' place, um, to visit his brother Leo. That's about that's about as much as he does. And I think that's quite enough for him. I also have a cat run um, that I built in my backyard. Um, so all of my cats that don't cat explore um, will, will go out into the cat run. So they still, you know, get that enrichment, um, just not sort of out in the sort of adventurous places that Nina likes to go. And that's perfect enrichment as well. Like, yeah. They're all different forms of enrichment. And like you've done it perfectly in that you've tailored it to the cat and what they like and what's appropriate for them. So, you know, the cat run and the backyards, you know, they're great ideas and that's what he needs so that he gets some sun and some you know fresh air and it's it's still perfectly fine mm. now you've spoken about fostering can you talk us a little bit through a little bit about how you started fostering cats so i used to foster puppies i used to be a big dog oh. person yeah um i fostered puppies as a teenager with my parents which was lots of fun i moved out to a place that didn't have fencing uh i missed having a animal companion and so I couldn't have a dog, but I got uh, Topher, my first cat. Uh, and then I had a cat and I wasn't sure about, I could, didn't have a yard either, so I couldn't really foster puppies. Um, and the RSPCA put out a plea for foster carers because they'd had a giant influx of cats. And I figured, seeing as I'd already done all the training, I was already on the list, it would be nice and quick for them if I was like, hey, I can take on some cats. Um, so, yeah, I got Mackenzie, my first foster cat, uh, which, as you know, ended up adopting her <laughs> uh, and after that my partner at the time was like no more fostering you can't be trusted um, <laughs> so we didn't foster for a while until a friend of mine found this litter of black kittens um, after some really bad storms that we had in Adelaide they were living um, at like a campsite and she asked me if I would help out so I took them on and I um, sort of did a research around my area as to who was a good rescue operation to uh, volunteer with and came across Paws and Claws, which is who I currently 
um, volunteer with. Uh, and they were just lovely. They um, really took me under their wing straight away. Um, and so I've been fostering with them for all five. Wow. How old is Mac? Six years? A wife. <laughs> five years. I'm going to go with five years. Um, and it's been great. So we've had lots of cats come through um, there. And at, at first I was just doing kittens or mums and kittens. Uh, and then I saw on um, Facebook somebody was trying to give away some kittens, uh, which is never a good idea. So I intervened and said, hey, um, I'd be willing to take all of these kittens on. I foster with paws and claws. This way they'll get desexed and vaccinated and I'll be able to find them good homes and it's a lot safer for them than giving them away for free. Uh, and they said yes, which was great. So I met up with them and they told me that these kittens were about six weeks old. I got there and the kittens were like a week and a half old and I'd never dealt with uh, kittens that little before I had no idea what to do and this was cow's litter um and they smelt awful I didn't know what was going on so I took them to the vet um and actually they were covered in um like uh necrotic flesh um and oh. and uh feces essentially this yeah really bad combination um and it was because the people that were looking after them didn't realize how young they were so they were only feeding them twice a day Kittens that age need to be fed every two hours and they weren't stimulating them to go to the toilet. So kittens that young can't actually, um, yeah, pee or poo themselves. You have to stimulate them to do that. They weren't doing that. So what had happened is the kittens had started, which is another thing that kittens do. They So their mum was hit by a car. They were hungry. So they were looking for, you know, comfort and to suckle on something. So they ended up suckling on each other, which was relieving them which is great. So that's why they didn't die of not being able to go to the bathroom. But it just meant that they were covered in all of this mess and um, it, they'd gotten infected and it was awful. So that was my first neonatal litter and it was really hectic. Um, and while I was looking after them, I hadn't slept in about three days, I think, because I wasn't used to getting up every two hours. It completely threw me. Um, and I was sitting there at about 4 a.m., covered in kitten milk and just I hadn't showered, I hadn't slept, I was a wreck. Um, and I made a decision at 4 a.m. that I needed to do more for animals and I signed up uh, to uh, an animal behaviour degree at uni. Um, so that was three years ago and I've just completed that. So, yeah, they, fostering really changed my life um, a lot. Uh, and, I, and I guess the, the beauty of it is that it also changes all of these lives for the animals that you take in as well. Oh, that's just beautiful. I love that. <laughs> um, I wanted to go back to something that you mentioned before. You mentioned that you've had some training in terms of fostering and stuff like that. Um, what kind of training is was that? Because I'm, I know that quite a few people in our community want to foster and they just don't know where to start. So I think um, having that training might make you feel a bit more confident in doing that. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of the time you are just given a litter of kittens and you're like, here, just look after them. Um, so sometimes there isn't much training. Um, I would highly recommend if you are getting into neonatal kittens, looking up Kitten Lady. Um, she has a free booklet on her website about looking after orphaned kittens. Uh, she's also got a book, which I love, um, which is behind my laptop. What a tiny but mighty, um, which is which goes into much more detail. Those two things, I think, are really great resources because not a lot of people in my area know much about 
fostering neonatal kittens unless you've done it. And unfortunately, a lot of the time, like in my experience, your your first experience of it is that it just happens and you don't really know what's going on. Um, so for me, I yeah, I educated myself through books like that. Um, my rescue now hands out that booklet to new neonatal, new neonatal foster carers and hooks them up with myself or another experienced neonatal carer so that they can just ask us questions um, that come up while you're fostering. And another thing that I would really recommend doing is going to your vet and asking them to teach you um, skills like subcutaneous fluids and tube feeding. Um, those two would be my main two suggestions because those things can really mean the difference between life and death in these little guys and they seem scary but um yeah if you have a professional like a vet take you through it it's it can be quite straightforward and it's is a really good skill to have that's great to hear as well and um you've mentioned your rescue and it sounds like it's an awesome rescue and you beforehand you mentioned that you actually did a bit of research to connect with them how did you pick your rescue because i know that a lot of people want to pick a rescue but there's so many out there how do you pick one that's good um, I had heard good things about them through word of mouth from a few people. Uh, that was a big one for me uh, because I think that people can have great websites, but it's if people have actually dealt with them in person and had a good experience, that says a lot more to me. Um, I also really liked their policies, um, like that all of the kittens are desexed before they're adopted out. Um, the fact that they, you know, were willing to take on um, – just you know kittens at the drop of a hat when I called them you know spoke a lot they I had a conversation with them over the phone for about an hour and they just seemed really switched on and I felt like I would um I'd get you know a good amount of support um from them so that was mainly that was mainly it really um the the word of mouth and then talking to them myself uh, but we're quite lucky here. We do have quite a few very good rescues and it can be difficult. And I would probably just say just, you know, yeah, call one, see how you feel, give it a go. If you don't get along with them, you know, there are others to try. And I did just want to say in case people are scared of fostering, there are so many um, different stages that you can foster. You don't have to start with neonatal kittens. And I'd probably recommend you don't start with neonatal kittens. I started, like I said, with uh, older kittens or mothers and kittens, and they're a lot easier to look after. You kind of get a feel for what fostering is like, the sort of commitment it takes. And um, and then from there, you can kind of go, all right, I feel like I'm now ready to try neonatal kittens. Um, but it's really, you know, it is quite straightforward. And if you're interested in it, then just just try it because it's it makes a world of difference to these little guys. You mentioned that neonatal kittens might be a challenging place to start. Did you have any particular skills or knowledge that you think would be needed to foster differently abled or neonatal cats? Yeah, but they're not big, scary skills. Like I would just like the biggest skill I think is Googling <laughs> and going to your vet. Um, I think that's really the main thing you need. I have so many people come and ask me questions and I just go, it, you, you could have Googled that. Um, or, I, you know, and that was the problem with the lady that was looking after the litter that I was talking about that had all of those problems is that she didn't even bother to search how do you age a kitten or, you know, how do you look after kittens that are practically newborns? She just assumed and done that. And we see people feed cats um, cow milk all the time again because they just they don't even bother to research things so I'd say research is really the biggest skill 
that you should have because that's going to give you all of these other skills and support that you need to be able to look after them. Um, but other than that, you know, with neonatals, obviously you need you need to be able to time manage and be willing to get up regularly to feed them. Occasionally you will need more advanced skills like the subcutaneous fluids, but you don't have to have them if you've got a vet nearby and you're comfortable taking them to that vet and you can learn them along the way. With differently abled cats, it would really depend on the cats, um, you know, what that cat needed to be accommodated with. For me, um, I needed skills in giving medication to Edward. Um, there's a video of me giving him meds on his page, and he's actually a dream when it comes to meds these days. But when he was a kitten, obviously that was not great, and I was having to give him meds four times a day. So that's something. Um, and then, you know, I know that there are cats that can't um, relieve themselves um, or cats that, you know, yeah, need different things. So it really is going to depend on the individual cat as to what they need. But if you've got that ability to research and ask for help, then you can you can get through anything. Yeah, and there's so many amazing resources available now as well. Like you mentioned Kin and Lady Sahana Shaw's um, book, but she's also got some amazing videos on YouTube as well. And even on her Instagram, the shorter form ones, like I didn't know that kittens couldn't relieve themselves. And it was just by watching one of her videos. I was like, oh, I didn't know that. That's really interesting. And she showed how she did it. So that was um, quite interesting. Um, So we're coming up towards the end of our podcast and we really appreciate you taking the time. So we've got these four questions that we ask everyone. What is one piece of advice you'd give to new cat explorers? Drop your expectations. <laughs> I, you know, I take Nina out and people say to me, oh, I wish that my cat would do that. And, you know, often their cat is, you know, 10 uh, and has never seen a harness in their life. And um, I kind of say to them, well, Nina's been doing this for a really long time um, and she naturally really likes it. Um, your cat might not. Like, you can totally still try. Go buy a harness. They're not very expensive. Give it a go. See if they're comfortable. And they might love it and that's awesome. But your cat is an individual and they, some of them won't like it. Even today um, I mentioned that uh, we went to the market this morning, which is something that Nina usually loves. And today she was not having a bar of it. She was not sitting you know, still. She was complaining to me and making it really clear to me that she did not want to be there. So we headed home. And that's totally fine because there's no point in trying to force your cat to be something because you think that it's cute to go out with your cat. Like that's that's not the point of this. The point is giving your cat what it wants and enriching its life, um, you know, in, in a way that's comfortable for them. So yeah, I think that's a big one is go into it with curiosity and seeing how your cat deals with it and, you know, have patience because sometimes the harness training can take a while. But if your cat is really hating it and you try to take them out and they're really scared and they're not settling down, then it might just not be for your cat. And that's that's really OK. And it's important to listen to that. Very well put. Now, on the topic of going out and about, what's the most entertaining comment that you've heard when you've been out and about with Nina? Oh, goodness. <laughs> um, one that sticks in my mind uh, is I was at the markets and I had her and, like I said, she likes to cuddle into me, especially when we're going past that particular busker. Um, so her head was kind of hidden and this woman um, sort of walked up to us and was like, oh, a beautiful puppy. And then... <laughs> Nina, with amazing comic timing, pulled her head out from my armpit and sort of turned horror style like towards this lady. And the lady literally gasped 
and said, oh, gross, a cat. Um, so that was that one that always sticks out to me because it just it was very bizarre. But um, another one that I get a lot is people just don't seem to grasp the fact that her eyes are sewn shut. It, it sounds scarier than it is. Um, it's totally comfortable for her. She couldn't see anyway. But um, so they'll say to me things like, so does she just keep them closed all the time? Like they don't, they don't, because I'll even say to them, she doesn't have any eyes. And they still think that like, there's just like some empty socket there and she's deliberately keeping her eyes closed. That one always confuses me. I suppose because as humans, I suppose if people are in that same situation, they'd wear glasses. Mm. So maybe it's just, they've never really thought about it. That's interesting. So which cat explorers inspire you? And I mean, you guys actually have been a big um, inspiration. I love following um, your accounts and um, seeing all the photos. And I, I really love the approach that you guys take to it, um, which I think is quite similar to mine in that you, you clearly listen to your cats and what they like and don't like and adapt to them. Um, so that's been great. And uh, uh, the other one is obviously Roxy, um, who is adorable and uh, we've followed from the beginning as well. Thank you. That's really lovely. So final question, what product, service or program has been a game changer for Nina? Yeah, so we don't, I mean, we don't have much. We pretty much just go out um, us. But that being said, I, I really do think that leads aren't great for cat exploring. Um, and one of the things that led me to believe that um, is that Nina likes to sit on my shoulder. And when she was a little kitten, all I had was a lead to begin with. But if she started to fall off, um, or if she did fall off, which thankfully she never did, that lead just would have been caught around her neck um, with all of the pressure on her neck, um, which, you know, could have caused some real damage or the lead could have come off and then she would have fallen really hard onto the ground. Um, so it was kind of after I realised that, that I got um, her a harness and she now has a puppier harness, which I quite like which spreads the weight much better across her chest, which means that when she's on my shoulder and, you know, we get a bit wobbly, she, her neck's not being pulled around. It's, you know, it's on her chest. The lead is on her back. So, and if she did fall off, then I'm not going to strangle her. Um, she's not just going to, it's not going to snap and fall off. She's, it's far more supported. So that's a big one. And the other one, which is specific because she's blind is that when she was a tiny kitten she had real trouble lapping and I with all of the other kittens I've been able to teach them by having my cat Mac lap next to them and then they can see her lap and they figure it out obviously that couldn't happen with Nina um, and I couldn't figure out how am I meant to teach this cat how to lap and I thought am I gonna have to bottle feed this cat for the rest of her life um, and then I got a um, a waterfall drink fountain um so like it's like a cat bowl but it has constantly running water and it makes a noise and um and yeah that was great because it meant that she was able to find it uh and it helped her I think that noise just helped her like um develop that laughing thing as well so that was huge for her that's really interesting that's something I never would have thought of yeah yeah you, it's that's the funny thing with these um you know it really is just learning what's what's different about them and what they need and it's often things that you wouldn't think of like when I originally thought oh, I've got a blind cat I thought maybe I'm going to have to put things on you know sharp edges so that she doesn't hurt herself um, but she she knows where all of those things are that's not an issue at all it's more 
um, it's more been a communication with her um, wherever we go so that she, like, all I have to do is tell her there is a table here and scratch on it. And then she knows, okay, there's a table there. I could jump on it if I wanted to. Um, and, and, yeah, that sort of surprised me that it it was a lot easier than I thought it would be. And it really came down to just um, it, it's almost human, you know, like if I was in a room with a, a blind person, I would say, oh, just so you know, there's, you know, a shelf sticking out there that you might run into. It's it's exactly the same. Mm. Yeah, that's so interesting. So, Julia, thank you so much for joining us today. You mentioned previously that you're, you've just finished your CAP Behaviourist degree as well and um, you're working on a really interesting honours. So we're thinking we might do a round two in the future when you've done with that as well to hear all about it. And we've had so much fun chatting to you today. Where can we find you and Nina and all the other kitties online? Right. Um, you can find me at the dot ethologist. Um, so ethology is the study of animal behavior, but it's not a very commonly used word, but I think it's a cool word. So at the ethologist. Um, and it's easier to say than animal behavior. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, Edward is at Edward the Space Bear and Nina is at Nina the Blind Cat. So we'll put all those links and any other links from today's episode in the show notes available at catexplorer.co forward slash podcast. You can also get to that by pressing the episode description on your podcasting app. Thank you so much for listening today. Come join us in the Facebook group, Cat Explorer Community, and tell us your thoughts on the episode thread. Super excited to hear what you think about this inspiring kitty and the rest of the other kitties. Thank you so much for being a part of the Cat Explorer Community. That's it for today. We'll catch you next time. In the meantime, enjoy giving a kitty the world. <laughs>